1: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I'm Money Honey Rachel, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast.
1: Many of us have heard of black swan events, rare and often unforeseen circumstances that can drastically affect our financial future. We futilely try to plan for them, although by definition, they are usually unpredictable. I did. My most feared event was a medical malpractice suit. Although doctors have coverage through insurance for usually up to a million dollars per occurrence, there's no promise that damages of $10 million or greater won't be rewarded. And then the attorneys go after your personal assets, your personal bank accounts. This happens infrequently, less than 1% of the time. Yet this so-called black swan event consumed a huge amount of my mental energy, much more, in fact, than what I call white swan events. These are laughably common and yet no less economically devastating. I'm talking legal problems, a new or unexpected health issue, or did I forget to mention something that almost half of married Americans will likely suffer through? Divorce. Rachel Richards built a real estate portfolio of 38 rental units by the age of 26. She is a two-times best-selling author and has been featured in Forbes, CNBC, and Business Insider. She makes the topic of money management fun, entertaining, and simple for her 450,000-plus millennial followers. Rachel helps women feel excited, capable, and confident about their financial futures. Rachel Richards, welcome back to Earn and Invest. I want to go to an Instagram post, which has over 1,600 comments and 9,000 likes. It says, among other things, the past seven months have been the hardest of my life. Tell us what was going on, what you were talking about in that post.
0: Yes. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. Um, I announced on my Instagram, I hate the word announce, like I have to make a big announcement, but I did let my followers know a few months ago that my divorce was finalized. And that was what that post was about. It was difficult having such a public presence and social media following. And having gone through that all of last year, all of 2022, and and not been able to talk to people about it, because one of the things I pride myself on is being transparent with my community and the people that trust me. And I couldn't talk about my divorce until it was finalized. So I finally let everyone know like, hey, you might have seen on Instagram, it looks like I had a great year. It looks like I was speaking at big conferences and traveling all over the world But here's what actually what was happening behind the scenes. You know, I was depressed. I was going through the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. And I just wanted to let people know that what you see online isn't always what's happening in reality.
1: Yeah, I can imagine it was really difficult, right? Because I think a lot of us in the content creation world, we really pride ourselves on transparency. And we see other creators who are making their life appear different than it is and of course we all cringe, it must've been really hard for you to be legally bound such that you couldn't let people know what was going on.
0: It was very difficult. And when I finally could let people know it was, it was so scary. I remember about, I was about to hit post, hit the button on my phone to post that reel. And my hands were literally shaking. Because you don't know how someone's going to react to your struggles. And it's very vulnerable. It was a very personal thing for me. And, you know, you don't know if there's a a stigma against divorce or what people are going to say or if they're going to judge or be mean. And I posted it. And then I remember the comments starting to flood in. And I called my mom and I was on the phone with her. And we were both just reading them together. And I was so touched by the outpouring of love and support and I I realized there was no reason for me to feel scared because so many people have gone through divorce and it's such a sad, heartbreaking thing. And I think it just really resonated with people and they could relate to it a lot.
1: As you mentioned, a lot of people go through divorce, but most of them don't think about how it's going to impact them. Let's go back in your history a little bit. Your story, I think, is well-known to many. You left your corporate job at a very young age to pursue entrepreneurship, book writing, real estate, passive income, so to speak. Back then when you started, what did you think the greatest threat was going to be to your financial success?
0: That's a good question. Maybe something to do with real estate investing, you're know, you putting massive amounts of money down on properties. What if tenants don't pay? What if the market goes down? These are all fears that I had and that I I don't any longer have them, but it probably would have been something to do with that. I never in a hundred years would have foreseen that divorce would have been the greatest ever hit to my finances and my net worth. And of course, when you marry somebody, you don't think you're going to divorce them. Uh, But we have to look at the stats. 50% of married people end up divorced. And I was like, I'm not going to be one of those. But here I am.
1: Did it ever even enter your mind?
0: No, I mean, I, I think I had talked about a prenup or considered a prenup way back when we first got engaged. And my feelings about prenups were that for me, it wasn't necessary. That's what I thought at the time. Um, at the time we got engaged, neither of us had substantial assets. Our net worth was not significantly different. So I just didn't think it mattered. And I made a couple big mistakes with that. First, that was the case the time we got engaged. By the time we got married, our wealth had significantly changed and we had been investing in real estate together, buying properties together. And I failed to ever come back and reconsider the prenup situation. So And we had combined our accounts too prior to marriage. So I don't know why it didn't cross my mind again to consider a prenup at that point, but it didn't. And that was a huge mistake. And the second thing is you don't know what businesses you're going to start. You don't know what books you're going to write. I had actually already written my first book by then. Um, You don't know if you're going to start a real estate investing empire during your marriage. And that's what a prenup can protect. And if I had a prenup that said, any books I write, any business I start... is mine and mine alone, then we wouldn't have been in the mess that we got into, which I know we're going to talk about more. Another thing I want to say, too, Jordan, is that I consider myself such a competent and knowledgeable person, right? I'm a, I majored in finance. I'm a former financial advisor. I've created a platform about helping people with their money and investing in real estate. And I've built a lot of wealth. And I say that because it scares me to think that if I messed up as big as I did with the knowledge and credentials and experience that I have, I, I messed up really bad during this process and I failed to protect myself, then what does that mean for everyone else? Because if, if somebody like me can mess up and not advocate for myself and not protect myself legally and financially, it scares me to think what, what positions other people are in. And that's one of the reasons that I do want to talk about this and I want to educate others and I want others to learn from my mistakes.
1: Just a short tangent, you mentioned that your life had changed significantly from getting engaged to being married. And then, of course, after you got married, there were some intellectual property things, some things you kind of did on your own, like write a book. Was there any idea of a post-nup? It was something I had never heard of, but apparently people are doing postnuptials where after they're married, they're legally starting to put their lives in order. Was that something you had ever heard of? Because I certainly hadn't.
0: I had not ever heard of it. And the cool thing about a post-nup is that if you don't get the prenup, nup so pre-nuptial, a nuptial agreement just outlines how everything might be divided, businesses, um, child support, all that stuff, who gets the kids before you get married. You can also do a post-nup, so it's the same thing, but it's after you get married. Now, I haven't heard, I don't know much about it, but from what I do know, it's a little bit more difficult to make this agreement as solid as a prenup would be. So you really need to make sure you work with the right attorneys, that you you and your spouse both have equal representation and separate representation to create a solid post-nup agreement that will hold up in the courts.
1: One thing you said previously is that you didn't really consider much of a prenup because neither of you had assets. You were kind of at the beginning of your financial lives. And when I look back, I was married over 20 years ago, but we were kind of the same. I was in medical school. My wife had just started in her job. Neither of us had a lot. So the idea behind a prenup, it really kind of was like, well, we're kind of building things together. I'm interested, as you got to this point where you were considering divorce, how much of your financial success or what you had produced at that time felt to you like a joint venture versus things that you did on your own?
0: That's a fabulous question. I felt that our real estate was a joint venture. We both equally contributed 50% and 50% to the down payments. I think I came into the real estate stuff with more knowledge because I had my license. I knew a lot about investing already because of my jobs, all the stuff I was doing. But my ex-husband was on board. He wanted to learn. He was proactive. He was taking initiative. He wanted to help build this empire together. So I thought we should split that 50-50. Then on the other hand, I have my business, Money, Honey, Rachel. My business consists of the two books I wrote, my courses, my programs, everything that I do to teach other people about real estate investing and finance. I felt that that should be mine and it shouldn't even be taken into consideration when we were dividing up assets because my ex made no financial contribution to my business and he made no intellectual contribution to my business. So that's how I was hoping and expecting things would go.
1: That's how you were hoping things were going to go. And certainly intellectual property is difficult, right? Because what does intellectual property mean within a marriage? What did you find out when you got down to the nitty gritty of trying to figure out how to split? What did you find out about intellectual property in your business?
0: What I found and the intellectual property is really owned by my business. So it was more about how the business could be taken into account and who has claim to it. And this was one of the worst and most stressful parts of my divorce for me. I was in Croatia last June when I got an email from my attorney and we were a few months into the divorce process by then. And he notified me that my ex wanted to have my business valued. Hmm. Now, there were only a couple moments in my divorce that I just felt, or actually, there were a lot that I felt the world was collapsing around me. Uh, but that was definitely one of them. And again, I just felt I wanted to do what was fair and reasonable. My ex-husband was making well well over six figures in in salary. He had full benefits, 401k, health insurance, stock options. That was his thing. And then I had my business. Again, I figured we'd split the rentals, split our investments, all of our money, and then I would just take my business and he wouldn't come, you know, he wouldn't claim it or come after it. So it was really hard when he did choose to come after my business. I was angry, and in the court system what I learned is that you can't come after somebody else's income. So I couldn't try to claim or come after my ex-husband's salary, but he could come after my business because my business was an asset. Hmm. He could get a business valuation, whereas his salary was not an asset. It was an income stream. So it made me very angry. Um, He didn't, you know, he didn't have anything to do with it. And it was hard to work through those emotions at the time. Um, But that's, that's the initial thing I learned. Happy to go into more detail about how it all happened.
1: I'm actually more interested in how you settled on the issue, if that's something you can talk about. Were you happy with the outcome? Were you able to cleave your business out of the settlement, or did you end up having to give up some of your business?
0: Okay, great question. There's two components here. So there's who gets to keep ownership of the business? and then if we're if we're not going if one person's not going to keep ownership, then I have to buy the other person out. So in my case, my business was very obviously going to get awarded to me, meaning that I was going to retain 100% ownership of it. So that was part of it. But the thing is, he could ask for a business valuation. He could recognize that it was an asset, and therefore, I would have to buy him out of the business. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm explaining that well. Okay. Okay. Um, So putting him putting a value on my business meant another line item on my side of the balance sheet, basically, which is how we're going to divide up all of our assets, which means he would get to offset it with more on his side. It meant the value of my business could get split 50-50. But maybe he would get to walk away with another rental property because of that, another syndication, way more cash. And I was just, I was so scared about the business valuation. I lived in fear truly for months and months about what it would come back. So again, I just want to state legally, my ex-husband was entitled to 50% of my business because we were married, period. There was nothing I could do about it. And if I had had a prenup that stated otherwise, I wouldn't have been subjected to that. So in terms of how we got the business valued, most people use a CPA, um, a, a company, tax company, CPA company that does business valuation. So that's what we had to do. I had to give this person all sorts of financials, everything that had to do with my business. And it was so much, so much documentation, so much time. It cost about $10,000, I believe, between five wow. and $10,000. It was very wow. expensive to get this business valuation done. And again, I was so scared it was gonna be very high value because then I would have to buy him out at a high value. So I was hoping it would come in for as little as possible. I got the business valuation back 10 days before our mediation. And actually the valuation was lower than I thought it would be. Um, I remember it was so low that I actually cried happy tears for the first time in seven months, happy tears. (laughs) And I, I, you know, I'd cried every day for seven months and I'm I'm crying happy tears. I I think I was laughing too, because it was just so ridiculous and absurd that we had spent all that money on this business valuation. And for what? It just felt so pointless, but such a huge relief. And I'm so grateful for the way that that turned out. It could have been a lot worse.
1: How ironic that you were rooting for the lowest valuation <laughs> yeah. of your business possible, <laughs> but it does make you think also, what is the value of a business of things we do, which are content creators. And and a big part of that is actually who we are, as well as things like our social media presence. Was there some attempt to figure out the value of your social media presence as part of the business? Was that something you felt like he thought he had some entitlement to, since he had supported you through that time of your social media creation?
0: He, he did think that that would be taken into account. Actually, he was really pushing well, we need to value the platform. We need to value the email list, but that's you can't do that because business valuations are based on income. And the income I was making was through my courses, my books, et cetera. And yes, I would sell them through my email list, but the email list itself cannot you can't put a value on it unless you're somehow monetizing the actual email list. like your if your subscribers are paying to be on your email list, then it has a monetary value. But I didn't have any of that with my platform so that wasn't taken into account it was just the income streams and i also to your point jordan i tried to make the case that hey i don't think my business has any resale value because my business is me yeah, right if you take exactly. me out of the business what's left of the business and but that that argument doesn't fly either it's just a very mathematical you look at the income streams you put a value on it and that's the way it went So
1: obviously, this made your life a lot more complicated getting divorced. And in that Instagram post, you said, My marriage was no longer serving me. I'm interested in how you knew it was time to get divorced, especially since you had these complicated lives. You had this business you were running. Were there any telltale signs where you're like, Okay, I need to move on?
0: Yes, but they weren't obvious in real time to me. What's so interesting is that the more distance i have from this the more i'm realizing things and i'm now looking back and thinking that should have been a sign that should have been a sign but a i think i was in denial because you you're married right you my gut instinct was we have to we can work through anything we have to work through this we can fix this you know i will try as hard as i can i'm not going to give up we went to marriage counseling we went to therapy and and i tried And the thing I realized is that not all issues in a marriage can be fixed. Some of them can, a lot of them can, but not all of them can. And I'm happy to talk to you about what led to our divorce. Even my own family was surprised because I kept our issues in our marriage so private, which I did later regret. But this was not sudden or unexpected. I think the best way I can explain it is that we wanted different things out of life. When we first met, I had this strong vision of building a real estate portfolio, becoming financially independent, quitting my job, traveling the world. And my ex seemed to really like that. He seemed to jump on board. He was on board with that. So we started out as a team working towards those goals. But at some point, I think he realized that's not what he wanted. I think he wanted to pursue his career, which is fine. I just wish he had figured that out seven years ago. I wish he knew his own vision back then and didn't realize it in our marriage. And he might disagree with how I'm explaining all this, but at that point, he sort of stepped back and I was doing most of it on my own. I was managing the rentals. I was planning for our future. I was doing all the finances and taxes and investments, building these passive income streams. And I was just exhausted. I could not, you know, I, because of all of that, I had several episodes in my life where I dealt with extreme anxiety and depression because it was so much I was trying to do. And I felt that he was, resentful towards me because I wanted to continue to drive forward and I was still ambitious. I'm I'm never going to change. That's I'm never going to stop probably. Um and I was probably resentful of him because he stepped back and I felt I felt so alone. I just remember thinking at one point, about four months before asking for the divorce that I was so sad because how can you be so lonely in a marriage? Right. I could imagine being single and lonely, but I wasn't supposed to feel that way in a marriage. And there are many other big, important reasons why we didn't work out. We had big family issues. We had problems that we try to work through in therapy. But I think that the misaligned vision is what it boils down to.
1: As I listened to you talk about this, I realized this idea that we talk about our dreams, especially our financial dreams, And we think that getting to those dreams is going to make everything better, perfect, wonderful. Um, And you were incredibly successful at putting your vision out there and getting there. But it didn't create, at least within your relationship, some of that happiness you thought it would. It's really easy for us all to try to look. Like everything's together, everything's perfect. And when we look at those parts of our lives, especially when we're content creators and we're talking about finances and showing how we're doing things financially and getting where we want to be, it's easy to appear perfect. Tell me how it feels not to appear perfect anymore in out in the world, right? To your community, to the people who know you, how does it feel to be talking about these things?
0: Um, It's a relief. It's hard. I get still emotional, even though I've been talking about it for a little bit now, but it is such a relief because I feel like I can help people more. And that was one of the silver linings during the divorce. I remember talking to a friend and thinking, I, you know, this sucks. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. But imagine what I can learn from this and all the things I can go back and now think I should have done that I made this mistake I should have done that and I was learning so much. And you know someone pointed out to me maybe this is the reason that you have such a big platform. Maybe it wasn't about teaching people how to invest in real estate. Maybe you're going to make the biggest impact in this world by helping women and men figure out, you know, when is it time to get divorced and what should you do financially to advocate for yourself and protect yourself before you even get married. And that's what kind of kept me going is I was like, maybe there's a greater purpose to all this or a silver lining. And I'm getting to share some of that now. It's relief. I'm not perfect. I've never told people I'm perfect. And the people that message me on Instagram, when I share about my divorce and talk about it are so grateful. I've never had so many messages from readers and followers thanking me ever in my life as I have these past few months. So I'm just, I'm happy that I can talk about it more openly now.
1: I want to get into how this affected your community a little bit more in a few minutes. But before we get there, as you were going through this, were there any role models? I mean, you're in a kind of different place, right? Because you're a content creator, you're out there, you have your own community, you're a businesswoman. While you were going through this, were there people you could point to or look at and say, aha, this is someone like me who's gone through this to help you decide how to move forward?
0: You know, I I wish it was that easy, Jordan. I think that a lot of the finance creators have that have been through a divorce haven't talked about it. And I tried to reach out to a couple people but they weren't interested in, in t- discussing it, which is fine, mm-hmm. you know, totally fine. It is very, very private. And it's very difficult to talk about. I really had to rely on my family and friends. And it was that was hard too because I'm 30. I don't know anyone in my life who's divorced my age. So I remember thinking I can relate more to my friends, parents who have been divorced than my friends right now. And that's actually who I relied on a lot. Um, my dad actually is previously divorced and he really stepped up for me in a big way and became so emotionally supportive last year. I had a lot of friends, parents that I would literally call, I would text, I would talk to, and they would encourage me and keep me going. So that's, that's who I relied on for the most support.
1: I find that interesting because I imagine emotionally they could support you, but did any of them have any idea or clue about the finance aspect? Because again, you have kind of a unique situation with what you were going through trying to cleave your finances apart.
0: No, none of them had experience with that. I did hire an attorney. When I first asked for the divorce, I was hoping it would be amicable. It was not, unfortunately. And I was a little bit blindsided a few weeks in to find out that my ex had hired attorneys and, you know, didn't tell me and I didn't know. So of course, then I hired my own attorney and he, he was so helpful. I, I could not have done this without him. Um, Mindy Jensen, who we both know and are friends with, she was very helpful, not because she had had that experience, but she knew who did. And she could sort of give me examples, tell me what she knew. And that was very helpful as well.
1: We are talking to Rachel Richards, who built a real estate portfolio of 38 rental units by the age of 26. She is also a two time best selling author. And we are discussing not a black swan event, but white swan events, these common things that can devastate us economically. And today we're discussing divorce. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? that's m o n a r c h m o n e y dot com slash e a r n for your extended 30 day free trial. We are talking to Rachel Richards. She has built a community of over 450,000 millennial followers. She helps women feel excited, capable, and confident about their financial futures. And we are talking today about her divorce. So you went public with an Instagram post. As I mentioned, there were like 1,600 replies to this. There were over 9,000 likes. Did you get any negative feedback at all?
0: I think there were literally two people who commented, and I don't even remember what they said, uh, something negative about it. And I just blocked them. So no, I mean, really, the response was 99.9% overwhelmingly supportive and positive.
1: And and tell me about some of those messages you got. I mean, I, I scrolled through some of them, and one common theme was I just went through this. Were you surprised to get those kind of comments?
0: Yes. I think we all we all know that statistic. 50% of the married people get divorced, but I don't think we realize how many people that is in real life. And so many people were expressing their gratitude to know that somebody else out there that they looked up, looked up to and learned from. Had gone through the same thing, and you know the fact that I was open about it, and I think they were also equally appreciative that I wasn't trying to portray my life to be perfect. I think it just felt very real and relatable to them, and that again, that's what I try to do because I struggle with things just like everybody else. Um, I think they were just so grateful that I was showing that side of myself, and to know that not everyone at Instagram has their shit together, right? <laughs> So it was a relief, I think, for them to see that and for me to share.
1: I often say the two things people don't really like to talk about are money and death, right? People don't want to talk about their finances and they don't want to talk about death and dying. Maybe we should be putting divorce in that mix. Why do you think people are so afraid to talk about it? Because again, I was amazed at how many people, once you said something, were willing to jump forward and say, yes, I just went through this or this is my experience. But, up to that point, people are pretty quiet on the idea of divorce. Why do you think it is?
0: That's a good question. I think people are afraid of how they're going to be perceived. or I think people are hard on themselves when they get divorced, and they they think that it means that they've failed. You know, I had had I had a failed marriage. I, and I've never said that. I've never used that phrase. So I think people are hard on themselves and then it's hard to admit that and talk to other people about it. And I think they're afraid of the reaction. Is someone going to say, well, what did you do? You know, why? what was this your fault? Did you not try hard enough? Um, I actually had one acquaintance after I posted that Instagram post, she texted me, we kind of know each other a little bit. She texted me and she said, are you sure you want this divorce? Hmm. And I was like, what? <laughs> i was literally my jaw dropped because first of all by the time i posted it the divorce was finalized right i could go back and remarry him but no i was pretty certain of my decision and second of all who says that when they don't know anything that i've gone through or that's led up to it or why i asked maybe it was reaction to her seeing me so upset and crying and sad but that doesn't mean that i was questioning my decision it was absolutely the right thing for me but it was the saddest and hardest thing i've ever gone to and to your point not talking about money or death divorce is like death in a way it's not the same i'm not trying to compare them to the two of them but my therapist told me not only are you going to experience this anxiety and this depression but you're grieving too you are grieving the i'm going to get emotional the life that you thought you were going to have with somebody so all of a sudden I live in, you know, I share this house, I share this life, I have a dog, and then that's ripped away. And it's, it's very, very hard.
1: Was there ever a thought of saying nothing? Was there ever look, you know, you had been posting on Instagram, we had seen you traveling from the outside, your life appeared like everything was going okay. Was there ever a moment where you like, this is too vulnerable. This is too hard. I'm just not going to say anything.
0: No, I knew I wanted to tell people about it because I knew I had things that I needed to share and I needed to educate people about, despite how vulnerable it was. I was glad that I couldn't talk about it until the divorce was finalized because it did give me a lot of time to process and be private about it for a while. And I felt like I was more ready by October because our separation, our divorce started in April, 2022. It was finalized in October. And by then- I was definitely ready.
1: So the divorce went through in October. As we speak, we're in January of 2023. Looking back, what do you think the overall economic impact on your life was of this divorce?
0: I believe so. First of all, the divorce itself cost Mm $51,000. It was a lot of money. So that was a huge impact. People don't realize how expensive divorce is. And we certainly could have saved money by not hiring attorneys. But once once he hired attorney, I just really had no choice. You need to be legally represented. That was mostly on attorneys. We also had the appraisals. We had the business valuations. We could have mediated instead of hiring attorneys and probably achieved the same outcome and saved a ton of money. So that was one of the big impacts. The other one was my net worth. So, And I actually made a recent post discussing this publicly for the first time ever, my net worth. We had gotten to a point where we had built a a really significant net worth together. And I felt that in the mediation, I didn't get what I believe to be 50%. I felt like I had to walk away with less. At the time, I was... So upset and angry and resentful about that, you know, it it wasn't fair, right? Um, But who's going to be happy with a mediation that's going through divorce? I don't think anyone's going to be happy. Maybe my ex felt the same way, and I don't know. But I'm so proud of myself that I went ahead and I settled on something, even though I didn't like it and even though I didn't think it was fair, because I was able to move on so much more quickly. I was able to get on with my life. One of the hardest parts about this whole process was feeling trapped and feeling helpless and feeling like I didn't have control over my own finances or over my own business. I felt like I couldn't even run my business the way I wanted it to run because I was depressed and I was scared. And having settled for something that I didn't think was fair, now I am so, so grateful I did that because the amount of money I've made and sort of the financial comeback I've experienced in just three months has been more than I ever could have imagined at that time. I just bounced forward. It's sort of like the Nike slogan. you you I was pulled back for such a long time and now I've sprung forward that check mark. So that was a really great move. And on social media in December, I finally announced that I had just hit millionaire status. We had over a million dollars combined, but by the time we got divorced, what I walked away with, I think it was almost nine hundred thousand, 850 or 870 or something like that. And in just like a month or six weeks, my net worth increased back up to a million dollars. That was really great because for me, it was the first time that I could, I could say I'm a millionaire by myself. And I had hit it. I was single, I was 30, I'd hit millionaire status post-divorce. So there were a lot of big economic disadvantages that happened during the divorce. But then everything has bounced back so quickly for me since.
1: I so connect with what you're saying on a a very smaller level. When I was leaving my medical practice, which I was a partner with, and I had one other partner. So we had to dissolve our partnership. And I remember getting really pissed off about something that ended up being really small. And another doctor I was getting advice from said, just let it go. Just walk away. And it's true, my economic fortunes turned 100% within six months of that when I started my own business. And so I kind of connect to this idea of, of what you were saying. Do you think the divorce has changed the way you think about money and your relationship with it?
0: I think it's probably caused more fear because I've worked so hard to be financially independent. And that's always what I wanted in my life because of my upbringing and being in a household where there wasn't enough money. And I had those fears and all I wanted to do is be financially independent and being in that situation where I realized that what I thought was mine, wasn't mine, you know, my business, my real estate, it was so scary and so awful. So I know going forward, I I joked with my business coach at one point and I was like, I'm never going to get married again. And of course that was when I first separated and things were just, it was very hard. And he was like, you'll get married again, just with a prenup next time. (laughs) So I think what's changed for me is really risk management. I now so strongly believe about, believe in prenups for everyone. And I think what we need to do is just look at it unemotionally, why we need a prenup. Again, 50% of marriages end, never thought that would be me, but this is purely risk management. Your odds are 50%. That sucks. So you have car insurance, right? Everyone has car insurance. And it's not because you think you're going to cause an accident or do something dumb. It's to manage the risk of other people on the road. It's because it's smart to protect yourself just in case something bad happens to you that is outside of your control. And we often start businesses. We invest in real estate with silent partners. We, we commingle our finances with others in many different ventures. And we always have a contract for those every single time, right? We, we know it would be silly to start a business without an agreement, without a contract. It would be silly to buy real estate with somebody without a contract. You wouldn't do that. So it's like, why are we protecting ourselves legally and financially in literally every circumstance in life, except for marriage? Here's the thing I realized is that we can control ourselves, but we cannot cannot control other people. Things that are outside of our control in a marriage, and I'm not saying like any of this applies to my situation, but these are some things that could happen. Someone could become emotionally or physically abusive. Someone could become an alcoholic or drug, drug addict. Someone could cheat. Someone could realize they have a different sexual orientation. People change, right? Stuff happens. And then what are you supposed to do? I could be the same person and uphold my vows until the day I die, but I have to manage the risk that something could change in my marriage that's outside of of my control. And last thing I'll say about prenups since I'm on my little rant here <laughs> is that is that if you're married, you already have a prenup. It's the one that the state gives you. They're going to outline for you what happens in the event of a divorce and I bet it's not very favorable. So if you want to protect yourself, you better write up the prenup that you want and agree to rather than defaulting to the government's desires and whims. So please take it from me. It is much better to come to a loving agreement now than to fight over finances when there are two very upset, angry, and hurt people. It's just, to me, a prenup is something you do out of love for the person you're marrying, truly. Because th- maybe we would have had an amicable divorce and maybe I would be in a much better situation with in terms of communication with my ex-husband right now. So I am open to getting married again someday if I meet the right person, but I will have a prenup next time.
1: (laughs) I want to dive into two specific prenup issues because I think exactly as you say, like you want to avoid this, a prenup's the way to go. But I also think things are a little bit more complicated than that. One is... When you are the woman in the relationship, because I think things may be a little bit more complicated there. And then the other is a prenup for someone who is a business person, entrepreneur or social media person. So first and foremost, did you feel like legally through the divorce setting that it didn't necessarily favor women or that it was harder for you as a woman in the system as it stands?
0: I'm not sure. Our situation was unique because we didn't have kids and we both were making money. It's not like I was staying at home or dependent on him. So I didn't feel like I was singled out because I was a woman, but I I did feel that I was not, the government didn't protect me in this situation because of my business. And I remember just being so upset one day and telling my therapist because of the whole business valuation, just thinking that he he could claim 50% of my business. And I remember just thinking like, I could just stay. I could just stay in this marriage and keep my business. And of course that wasn't a real thought that I had, but I was like, shoot, I get it now. I get why people stay in marriages that they don't want to stay in because what? they have a lot to lose. And I think women, especially who tend to be more financially dependent on a guy, and that's changing a lot. I'm not saying that's everyone, but if you have kids, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're not making as much, I think that there's probably a lot of fear and a lot of women or people stuck in unhappy marriages because of finances. And that's what upsets me. I mean, if I even just had that fleeting thought, then how many people are staying in an unhappy marriage because they're scared financially, what's going to happen, or they feel they can't support themselves. So that's what I think is scary and what I think should be considered in the prenup. You know, If you leave your job because you're going to take care of your kids, then what happens? What are you entitled to? How should you be protected? If you're making less money, if you're financially dependent on each other in any way, these are the things, and I'm, I'm not expert enough to talk about it in too much detail. But these are things you have to consult an attorney about if you are in any of those situations and find out if you can update your prenup later and update it as a postnup. But those are some of the things absolutely to consider.
1: It's funny, as you were saying that it triggered a completely what sounds or seems like an unrelated thought, and yet it came to mind anyway I get the sense that when he went after your business, he wasn't just going after your money because you were kind of doing that as you were doing your settlement, figuring out who owns the real estate, et cetera. But it almost felt like he was going after you, like he wanted a piece of you above and beyond the financial. Am am I completely off in saying that? Because for some reason, I just got that feeling as I was talking to you.
0: You know, I think it was about, you're not off. I think it was about being hurt. And- I don't necessarily think it was about the money to your point. I think he potentially was trying to hurt me. And and here's why I say that, you know, hurt people want to hurt people. That's a very common response in our marriage. I felt like we had these big looming problems that had been present for years, but things really escalated in the last six months together. And during that time towards the end, I feel like we both messed up in different ways, big time, and we unintentionally hurt each other. And I, you know, I own up to my part in that. But I think the difference is that despite anything he'd done up to that point to hurt me, I just wanted out of the marriage. I just wanted to peacefully say goodbye, whereas he looked at my actions. And from the moment I asked for the divorce, it just seemed like he wanted to inflict pain or or blame or get back at me or something. Um, And again, you know, I expressed the desire to keep attorneys out of it. He blindsided me very early on where I showed up on a legal call without representation only to find out he had hired a couple attorneys and didn't tell didn't tell me. And I had to speak for myself on that call. And those kinds of actions started from day one and literally continued to this day, even after our divorce. My friend's dad told me people will always say you don't know someone until you marry them, right? <laughs> but that's that's true. But what's also true is that you don't know someone until you divorce them. And that is hauntingly accurate because I just saw a, a different side of him that I didn't know existed. And I've had to find a lot of empathy. I'm, I'm not bitter anymore. I'm not resentful anymore. I'm not angry. Or if I am, it's because I'm still hurt and I'm still processing, processing some emotions. But I've had to find empathy that that was his coping mechanism. It was easier to hurt me and blame me than to accept that we weren't right for each other or to accept that maybe it wasn't anyone's fault, or that maybe we should have never gotten married, which is a sad thing to think and say out loud. It's a hard pill to swallow. But I think that's why we ended up where we've ended up.
1: So you speak to a platform of over 450,000 millennials. Undoubtedly, some of them are like you, they're building businesses, they're doing real estate, they're building a social media presence. We just said that you don't know someone until maybe you divorce them, you get to see who they really are. What kind of advice can you give to people who are pursuing these lives, right? And who are maybe at the start of or in the middle of a relationship, how can they protect themselves? We talked about prenups, but is there anything above and beyond that they can do to prepare themselves for possibilities?
0: Absolutely. That was just one mistake I made. I made several other mistakes. For example, I combined my accounts with my ex, with my ex before marriage. I didn't think it was a big deal at the time, but it was. And I just didn't know. So when you get divorced, there's separate assets. So there's assets you have before the marriage that you get to keep. You get Those aren't taken into account in the divorce. So anything that was separate, that's yours. Anything that was created, invested in whatever during the marriage, that's what's up for grabs, right? That's what's going to get divided and i didn't know that and i didn't think it was a big deal and again i didn't have a ton of money but i did add him to my accounts before marriage because i was like well i want to keep my accounts let's make these the joint accounts right let's i want to keep mine so i added him and but he didn't add me to for example one of his investment accounts that he had so then in the divorce he got to keep that what was in that and i had to split my what should have been separate accounts i had to split them 50/50 and i'm only talking like 17 grand at the at the time but still That's money that should have been mine. And I just made a mistake there. Another mistake I made, this was both before and during our marriage, is we were combining our funds and we were contributing our funds to maximize out his retirement accounts and his HSAs and neglecting my own. And again, this, it feels so, I feel stupid for even saying this because now it sounds so obvious, but. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are doing the same thing, which is why I'm like sharing this. So you can learn from my mistakes, but we max out his, his IRA, his HSA and not mine. And it could have been divided and it could have been def- done differently during a divorce, but he had a lot more tax, ab- tax advantaged accounts that he walked away with because of that, you know, cause at the time I thought, well, what's, what's yours is mine. Right. When we retire at age 65, it doesn't matter whose account is whose. It's, we're going to be able to benefit from both of them. But that's the wrong thinking. You have to think again from a risk management perspective, contribute, maximize your own retirement account or contribute to both of them equally, but don't favor one person over the other. Another mistake I made, and this really is all having to do with separate accounts versus marital accounts, but I sold my car a couple of years ago we became a one car household. So that's what happened. And I failed to put his truck. That's the car that we were using. I failed to put that into both of our names. Hmm. So although it was, I believe that was a marital asset. So the value of that could be divided when he moved out and we separated in Denver in April, he took that truck and I was stranded, basically. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a vehicle. And I couldn't do anything about it legally because my t- my name wasn't on the title of the truck. It was his truck. So there was nothing I could do. I've been uh, driving rental cars all year, which I first thought I hated, but now I've seen that it's a blessing. But that's another mistake. So it just comes down to risk management, keeping separate accounts separate, thinking about some of these things, getting that prenup. And th- those, I s- would say, are the biggest things you can do to protect yourself.
1: In the Instagram post, you said, I prefer congrats to sorry. Tell me how you're feeling. Start of 2023. How are you feeling about your situation and how things
0: are going? I'm feeling so much better. I didn't realize how how long I'd been struggling emotionally and how long it's been since I felt like myself. And when you're depressed, you you can feel that loss of identity, that loss of sense of self. And I struggle with that. And now I'm at the other end where I'm starting to feel better. I'm starting to heal. I'm starting to get my energy back. I realized how long it's been since I felt that way, which makes me both sad and happy. There was a time in the beginning of my divorce where I was devastated and saying sorry was the right word. But even pretty early on after that, when people told me things like, I'm proud of you, you are so brave. You are so courageous. You know, congratulations on making a very, very hard decision. Your life's going to get a lot better. That is what helped me way more than someone saying sorry because I wasn't. I mean, I'm I was sorry for the pain I was in and the things that happened. Like that's a sorry situation, but I wasn't sorry for myself. I was proud of myself and that those are the words I needed to hear. And just in a few months again, I feel better than I have felt in a long time. I'm so excited to enter 2023, you know, single and looking forward to things. I told you before the call, but I just arrived to the country of Colombia yesterday. I'm exploring on a little bit of a solo trip. There's just so much I'm looking forward to that I wouldn't have been able to if I either, the divorce was either still going or if I had stayed in that marriage.
1: Well, Rachel, I really wanted to thank you for coming on today to talk about your story. I mean, they're the practical aspects, which I think. You've been very clear about things like prenups and risk management, but I also think there's that other side, which is, in a sense, you've proven that you are the driver of your wealth. People can take away things you own. They could even try to take part of your business, but you ultimately will create the wealth in your life, whether economic or not, and no one can take that away from you. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where we can find you. So what is coming up for Rachel Richards in 2023?
0: Thank you, Jordan. And I want to comment on what you just said first, because there were two things I was grateful for during the divorce and you touched on one of them. One was that I didn't have kids because that would make the whole thing a lot harder. So I was very glad I I didn't have kids. Number two, and this is what kept me going and really, really helped me, is I realized he can take everything he he could take everything if he wanted to and just keep fighting for it and i would eventually give it maybe and he could take my business he could take my money he could take my rental properties but he cannot take away my knowledge he can't take away my drive my experience and it, even if he took every penny in our estate i knew that i would come back better and stronger than ever and i would make it all back up and then some so i love that you said that i just wanted to emphasize that because that was very helpful for me to frame it that way. And in terms of what's coming up next for me, I'm so excited for this year. I want to build back up my real estate portfolio a little bit, so I'm gonna be investing in Kentucky. I want to house hack in Denver since I do spend so much time there. I have a lot of international travels planned. I'm gonna do a hundred mile hike with my sisters through Switzerland, France, and Italy. Um, Just get back into my business and doing the things that I love, and I couldn't be more excited.
1: And if people want to reach out and learn more, what's the easiest way to contact you?
0: Thank you. My Instagram is Money Honey Rachel. Both of my books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income Aggressive Retirement are on Amazon. And I know we didn't talk about passive income because that was not the subject of this interview, but that is what I am known for. So what I would love to do for your listeners is if anyone wants to download my passive income starter kit, I will give that for free. So you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com forward slash passive income to download that.
1: Well, I'm sure they will appreciate it. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, i G, I'd like to thank Rachel Richards. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. I I keep things running, as you know, for the after show. Um, Thank you for coming on and doing this. This is obviously is not an easy conversation. You've already been vulnerable, but then it's like rehashing the vulnerability. (laughs) But I wouldn't ask you to do it unless I thought it was really, really valuable. Yeah, I just feel like there are a lot of people in a place similar to yours, at least can understand what you went through and don't know what to do themselves.
0: I agree. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share it because I am passionate about it now. I don't want people to go through what I went through. And you're such a great interviewer. And, you know, we have a friendship, so it's a lot more comfortable with you than with somebody else. Um, so, yeah, I feel good about that. I felt a little rambly, but I hope that I was able to add a lot of value.
1: Oh, I, I think you did. And as I was saying, <laughs> I felt like I had marbles in my mouth today, too. So that's not uncommon. But um, no, no, no. I, I mean, I think these are things that we all need to hear i I, I think down from this idea that we never even consider this is something that could totally impact us just like me i spent so much time worrying about a malpractice suit and then going over my malpractice limits something that was exceedingly rare (sighs) and yet most of us don't think about like the obvious stuff right and this is one of those obvious things that as we were saying over 50 percent of married people are going to go through and yet We don't prepare for it. We don't risk manage. We're really great at risk managing for a downturn in the stock market or a downturn in the real estate market, Um, but not the relationship problems that are endemic to being human beings. Um, And so that's I just think it's so valuable and so important. And, you know, vulnerability is really hard. Um, I think we generally come out better on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, But it's never easy to like you said to you have this idea of who you are as a person and then to realize that that life that you had planned for in the future now is going to be radically different and admit that that it is you know you had the best intentions but it didn't get where you wanted it to go it's really hard
0: yeah i think so too i hope i hope it helps the more i talk about it i hope people have more courage to do what is right for them hmm. so thank you i yeah. appreciate it
1: what is exciting too is to see something which I thoroughly believed from the moment I heard about this is that you would come out on the other side, even more successful. Um,
0: yeah. I guess, and I didn't see it then, but it has certainly happened even in just a few months yeah. and it's so gratifying it's- and, you know, it tells me I did the right thing.
1: I was about to say, it's unsurprising for people who know you, um, but, <laughs> but while you're going through it, it never feels like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you're going through something crappy. And in fact, I think, um, one of the keys maybe to life happiness is that you tend to use the things you learn during life's crappiness to build more happiness. And it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a fantastic thing if you have that skill. And certainly it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know I'm, and I already feel more stronger and more resilient and working with my therapist for, it's been like a year now I've been meeting with her every week, but I am now so much better at, knowing what I would want in a partner, you know, identifying red flags early on. I've been working on that, having a a greater sense of self-esteem and self-confidence. And it's just about not feeling like you need somebody in your life, but you want somebody in your life. So I've come a long way, still a lot more healing to do, but I'm very excited.
1: As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places